Welcome to the podcast series for the Gender Institute at LSC. In today's podcast, we talk to Professor of Law Emily Jackson about the underrepresentation of women in the legal profession, how the law has worked to create a safe system for women who want to undergo fertility treatment, at the cost of failing to provide safe, accessible contraception and abortion for women in other countries. I mean, the most obvious headline statistic, which is clearly problematic, is that there has only ever been one female judge in the highest courts in the UK. And that, in many ways, seems to be quite a shocking statistic. So at the very, very top of the judiciary, there aren't many women. And I think there are multiple reasons for that. I mean, obviously, it's sometimes described as a pipeline problem, that women aren't doing the sort of jobs that make them eligible for that, that it's hard for women to get into some parts of the bar, some parts of the lower judiciary. I think one of the things that I've become very conscious of is that the way some jobs are designed makes them, in a sense, not just incompatible with uh, having primary caring responsibilities for elderly parents or for young children, but in a sense, incompatible with having the sort of life that most people would want to have. So I think there are real concerns about the design of a job. For example, if you're in the High Court in something like the Family Division in the High Court, you'll be expected routinely to go out on circuit, which means that you'll be spending a really significant portion of your working year away from home. And for many people, that's just not not possible. So if we have feeder jobs, in a sense, for the highest court in the country, which are very difficult for people to manage if they have family that either they need to be near or just want to be near, I, th- I think we've got a problem. So I think it's it's a bigger issue than just women not applying or women not being appointed. We need to think structurally about, about how the legal profession works. Are there any examples of where it's being done well? What can we learn? In countries which have what's known as a career judiciary, they do a great deal better on gender representation. So that's where people could leave law school and just decide they want to be a judge. And although that's true that you do much better on gender, I'm not sure that it's straightforwardly the right way to go because in many ways being a really, really excellent judge is something that you have to learn through experience. It's not necessarily something that a 23-year-old with little life experience can do as well as somebody who has um, been in the courts for many years. So I think you could say we could solve the problem by moving towards a career judiciary, but that might have other costs. So I'm not sure there's a country that has absolutely cracked it, but we're certainly not doing as well as we ought to be. So what would you like to see being done? What would you like the focus to be? We need to think about the way in which we design the job of being a judge so that it's compatible with having obligations at home. I don't think that that's solely a gendered issue. I think we need to be concerned about any career where you are likely at short notice to have to travel huge distances for work. That's really difficult for a lot of people to manage. The bar is like that. Um, the judiciary can be like that. So I think we need to think about redesigning the roles so that they are more attractive to people who have a life that's important to them outside of work. This would all seem to rather fly in the face of the fact that women are doing very well, as far as the law is concerned, at university level. So how do we capitalise on that? 
In the university sector, at least half of our students are women. I think in law departments, it's more than half. Women perform extremely well at university. I think they perform slightly better than their male counterparts. So there's no shortage now of incredibly bright women emerging from universities. So we need to make sure that the jobs that they want are available to them and that they're able to progress their careers in whatever field of work they choose to go into. So I think Whereas when I was at university, I don't think there was gender equality at university. I think there is now in terms of students emerging very well qualified and that needs to carry on through the world of work. Now, you were involved for more than a decade with the Human Fertilisation and Embryology Authority. And we often hear that we have a very safe, a very tightly regulated system that protects women. But again, there are concerns around access, aren't there, for those not financially able to get those services? Well, in relation to fertility treatment in the UK, the law we have is the oldest comprehensive system of regulation anywhere in the world. So we have the first IVF baby was born in the UK in 1978, but we also have the first comprehensive system of regulation. And I think it broadly works incredibly well. So it's tightly regulated and clinics are subject to pretty intensive regulation. But as a result, it's incredibly safe and patients are protected in multiple ways, for example, through really strict confidentiality provisions. So just as an example, because we have such a tight system of regulation, the multiple birth rate associated with IVF is low in the UK compared with somewhere like America where IVF is not regulated very well at all and they have an alarmingly high multiple birth rate and multiple births are the biggest risk of IVF for women and babies. So I think we have a very safe system The difficult issue for women is that it's not always available on the NHS and that's problematic. Most IVF treatment in the UK happens in the private sector and it's really expensive. So that, I think, is a a serious problem. But obviously the NHS can't afford to give people the medicines it might want to give them. So the NHS rations care and and fertility treatment is, is rationed. And what about when it comes to other parts of the world? I mean, women still in 2015 having abortions in terrible situations, in terrible conditions. How much more should the law be doing to help them? I think one of the biggest issues is the way in which there are places in the world where women are not able to control their fertility and that that has huge costs for women. So I think that there are shocking statistics about women in 2015 having um, unsafe abortions. And that's something I think I feel very strongly about, that it's, it's shocking that that still happens. So what should be happening when it comes to the way in which international law can protect the rights of these women and promote the rights of these women? Just this last week, I think the European Commission said rights, safe, accessible contraception and safe legal abortion. The European Commission talked about that as being a human right. And there are countries within Europe where that right is is not available. A few years ago, a woman died in the Republic of Ireland because although her situation was profoundly serious, the doctors said they couldn't perform a termination because they could hear a fetal heartbeat and she died as a result. Now, the fact that that's happening in the Republic of Ireland is, is really profoundly shocking. Emily Jackson was talking to Chris Garrington following the Commission's event, Gender and Law. You can find out more about the work of the Commission at www.lsc.ac.uk forward slash gender institute. And you can also follow us on Twitter at LSC Gender Tweet.